is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, before we dive in today, uh, we are ramping up for a very exciting 2019. Yes. Um, and we want to let you know about some of the things that are coming up. So first on the calendar, um, in January of 2019, I'm going to be in Phoenix with Ken Adams doing a Mother and Mesh Men right. workshop. Uh, this is the first time we've taken it to the West Coast. And, to um, the warm coast. The warm coast. <laughs> um, and we have, well, I guess it's not on the coast. It's in the middle of the right. desert in Phoenix. But, it'll but still it's be, warm. It'll be, it'll be warm. It'll be nice. Um, it'll be good. We still have three seats open. So if you've listened to those episodes, or when I just say the word mother and mesh men, if you're like, hmm, th- there's that something stings. there, <laughs> give me a call. Uh, send me an email. Um, let's talk about it. Uh, we're also doing another dating and recovery intensive the first weekend in February. Right. Right. Um, I think at like end of January, first part of February, I think that's how it lines up on the calendar, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, this one's going to be for men only. Yes. Um, our last one was all women. Um, so this is going to be for men. We're going to be doing this in Ogden, Utah, my hometown. I'm really excited. John has really advocated for that spot. I think I'm super annoying about it, but like <laughs> it's a really great place and I'm excited to, to show it off and excited to do that work there. So um, we have um, at Five minimum... Spots. we. Yeah, we have five spots open. Minimum, yeah. Um, still. So uh, if you are a man out there in recovery of any kind um, and you want to get into dating and you're terrified to do so, right. um, we can help. Yes. Um, the fourth thing or the third thing that's coming up in the beginning of 2019, um, we had Leonard Bate on the show a couple of months ago uh-huh. um, talking about his work with GLI and the power of groups. Um, Jackie is going to be doing a GLI with Leonard. facilitating yep. And that'll be in April. April in uh, Malibu, California. Who doesn't want to yeah. go there? No. So this is where this is the same place that when Jackie and I went to GLI this year, it's, it's at the same, <laughs> same monastery, same Sarah Retreat Center. Um, even if we never talked about stuff, even just staying there for like five days, it was <laughs> incredible. Soul, right? It yeah. was awesome. Um, so really great opportunities. We're doing a different kind of work than we've done historically Mm -hmm. we're excited about it and we will also be uh kicking off some webinars yeah um related to relationship dating and recovery stuff Mm -hmm. i think their first one airs like Mm mid-january we're releasing yeah and and so we've got four kind of topics already lined up for webinars that we'll Mm -hmm. be releasing so also look for that in 2019 yeah uh you can you can i think stay most up to date on this stuff on our facebook page Uh um healing paths inc yeah right yeah ink is on there yeah um Oh, it's right here in front of me on we our say outro it at the end thing. Of every show. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll have all that information there. And again, if you have any questions or any of this is resonating with you, don't hesitate to reach out to right. us. Speaking of reaching out, this is we where our episode had, comes from yes, today. We had somebody reach out to us and ask specifically to do um, an episode. We're going to read you their uh, their email to us, and because it's such a great question. It's also going to be a series. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know how long this series is going to be yet. Because as we've been doing some pre-discussion, there's a whole lot here. Yes. And not only is there a whole lot here, there's not a whole lot out there that talks about this. So um, here's the email. 
Hi, your podcasts have been tremendous have been tremendous help. Could you do some on how to repair the attachment and trauma damage done to children by remorseful parents? My kids are still under 10 years old and both me and my spouse are in recovery and realized we had unknowingly inflicted attachment and traumatic damages during the kids 0 to 4 years of age. What can we do to henceforth what can we do henceforth to reverse/repair/reduce those wounds and damage suffered by the kids. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Um, so I'll just say, first of all here, um, there's a tremendous amount of bravery and I think a depth to recovery work that's inherent here. When you say um, we're remorseful parents, mm-hmm. we recognize we've inflicted attachment and trauma to our kids. Um, because any way you slice it, I don't think there's a way around doing that in parenthood in general. Right. And especially not when there's addiction on the table. Right. So I think this is a tremendous question, and I'm really glad it's being asked. Um, because I think even, even again, with addiction off the table, I think a lot of parents consider this. Mm-hmm. But it's really overwhelming to it's actually voice it. It's hard to look it. at. Yeah. 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 Um, so... We're going to be looking at this, and we'll probably get to the age-specific stuff. Well, we will get to the age-specific stuff in future episodes. Right, which is why we wanted to do a series on it, because it yeah. is different for varying ages. Yeah. Um, I would start by saying this whole family aspect of recovery and healing, I would call this like third-wave mm-hmm. addiction recovery. So historically, with any addiction, and uh, sex addiction is no different. We've started with what's the addict going through? Right. And we zero in on that. And then we're like, oh, these addicts are in relationships, like they're married. And maybe that affects the people that they are married yeah. to. And and because, you know, when, when we do the first wave work, now they can start doing the second mm-hmm. wave, which would be that relational mm-hmm. with a spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, third wave, I would say, is the family in general. Uh-huh. Um, second wave, I would say, is work that most people in recovery get to. Third wave requires questions like this. Right. Um, I think a lot of people don't because I, I hear most commonly from from the folks that I work with when the topic of the kids and the family come up, oh, they don't know what's going on. Right. We've really kept this contained. And as much as I would like to believe that, the larger part of me is saying, like hell, you've contained this. Mm-hmm. This has not been well, contained at all. And because especially kids, right? And young kids, uh, they they pick up on so much, right? They Mm -hmm. may not, it may not make it into the brain and they may not have information there to connect dots. Yeah. Um, But they definitely are picking up on energy, feeling, Mm -hmm. like they're reading body language, Uh whether they want to or not. They're just reading body language. It's astounding to me. um, Somebody that I've been working with for a few months, we've really been kind of pulling on the thread around her narrative around her father and mother in in childhood. Um, Dad left all of a sudden one day. And she had this narrative about how perfect the family was until that happened. Mm -hmm. And she just couldn't explain what happened. And um, as she's kind of dove into that more, she's been realizing more and more, my family wasn't perfect. And she has the whole story. So dad leaving all of a sudden one day for another woman, this is no longer an outlier Mm. because she could see the breadcrumbs along Mm -hmm. the way. And we were talking recently and she said, why, why wasn't that my story? And I said, well, how much pain are you in recognizing that this is how dad always treated mom and you? And she's like, this hurts. Yeah. Yeah. If I could go back to not knowing this, I would. Yes. Um, so I, I do think kids pick up, 
um, body and soul. And and this, I was talking about this in staff meeting. I had a great session a couple weeks ago with a client in which we were talking about, and, and he's more in advanced recovery. He's been sober for a long time, but working on the relationship issues. And, and, and I was saying in staff meeting, I, I think initially when, when people come in, um, especially with addicts, right? There's a lot we, we talk about. They're in this state of they don't know what they don't know, right? And so sometimes addicts come in and they think they know everything and they don't know what they don't know. And so we have to kind of work with them on that and getting them to see what they don't know. And, and then it kind of leads into this stage of, and I think this is true for a lot of the clients I work with. I know it's even true for me. Um, th- that second stage when we've started to do some trauma work, now we have to look at what do you know that you don't know you know, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of times, I mean, for me and my family, yeah, it was, it it would have been a threat to kind of the balance of our family or the calmness of our family for me to know what I know. Mm-hmm. And so I just, like, I could see, I could totally see it, but I didn't know it. Yeah. And, and part of my recovery and part of my um, therapy as an adult has been getting back to trusting what I know yeah. and knowing what I know instead of knowing something but not knowing that I know that. Yeah. So we're going to give some background on kind of family systems mm-hmm. and what happened in addiction and where we want to move in health. And then in future episodes, we'll really look at how you do that with the kids. Because if we're going on the assumption, which... I, I believe is not assum- assumption, it's a fact, that the kids know the approach for how you help them integrate that and the invitation for helping them integrate that is key. Mm-hmm. Because you could go in um, in the spirit of full transparency and you can make things a lot worse by saying, here's everything that happened and here's the timeline and you know, assuming that they knew what all of that meant. Right. Um, so this is much more this, uh, it's almost like, I'm thinking about Apollo 13 when they had to dock the lunar lander uh-huh. and they were going through that in training exercise. This is really like movement on both sides and figuring out like how aligned are we yeah, and how close are we and can we have a tight seal? Can we right. have a match here? And so this is a very delicate process. Yes. Um, I also think, you know, I was talking with a client the other day who um, her second is about to graduate and move away to college or whatever. And, and, and she was talking like, this is the end of it. Like I, I'm not going to have any ability to influence them once they leave. Right. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) I mean, they may not ever live at your house in the same way that that's true. Like my kids who are now adults or young adults, but still adults, like even if they come and stay at my house or live there for the summer, they don't live the the same way they Mm -hmm. did before they were 18. But this is not the end of the road, right? right? Like this is a lifelong relationship with mm-hmm. these creatures, right? Mm-hmm. And and I told this client, I said, I have had some really great conversations with my three older girls because of their age now. Yeah. That I, I just don't know that we could have had it um, in when they were like in high school. I'm like, I just don't know that they have the insight or the maturity or the development or I don't know what it is, right? But I'm like... Oh no! Like no, no, no! It's not all over yet. Like, yeah. and and so again, I think keeping that perspective that says these are lifelong relationships, mm-hmm. not enmeshed ones, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't want enmeshed relationships with our adult children. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want 
relationships with our adult children. Yeah. So so one thing to keep in mind is this is definitely a very long game. Not that the healing is only going to happen far in the future. Right, right. Um, but the ripples are going to go far into the yeah. future. And this may always be a relevant topic with your kids. And and not, not trying to uh, minimize this too much, but again, I think that's a very regular part of parenting. Mm-hmm. There's things that come up in the family that we are always going to talk about right. that are always going to have an impact. Well, we're not always going to talk about them. We have the ability to always talk about yes. them. We may choose not to. Right. Um, and um, the the birth order is also going to play an effect mm-hmm. uh, on mm-hmm. the kids and, and what's happening. Like I will say my youngest is m- more mature than my others were at her age. And part uh-huh. of that is just because she's the youngest. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, from the time she was in kindergarten, like I don't think the poor girl ever got to watch like Sesame street or any, like, right. I remember going into kindergarten for like a little one-on-one with the teacher. Like we weren't in trouble or anything, but, and she said, is she your youngest? And I said, yeah, how do you know that? And she's like, well, I'm having them fill out these forms. Like, and I'm asking them questions. And I said, what's your favorite TV show? And she's like, I Carly. And she's like, a lot of the kids are like Barney. Right. <laughs> and she's like in this teenage show. And she's like, and then I asked her what her favorite song was. And a lot of things I hear, like the wheels on the bus and different. And she's like, I can't remember the song, but it was something by Coldplay, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. Oh, yeah. She doesn't really get to control the remote very much, but she's watching what the older kids are watching. It could have been so much worse. It could have been Law and Order Special Victims Unit. True, true. <laughs> Good thing those are on later in the evening. Right. Now that was So we recently took a long family road trip, and my oldest is in third grade, so he's starting to learn cursive. And, of mm. course, his little brother in kindergarten is looking over his shoulder. So our, our kindergartner has it in his mind that he has to learn cursive. Like, granted, he... He knows his letters, but he can't really write the alphabet <laughs> legibly. But he's going straight for cursive because that's what you got to do, right? Because you got to keep up. Yeah, um, I think it's really useful to know the circumplex model, mm. um, and I forget who developed this. It's actually it's been in the last twenty years, and this is a way of looking at um, different qualities of connectedness and structure in families. Okay, so we have um, we have the we have the element that's around connectedness. So on one extreme, we have a disengaged family. On the other extreme, we have an, en- an enmeshed family. Okay. And so this has to do with boundaries and closeness and how people relate. So in an enmeshed family, there are not sufficient boundaries. Uh-huh. In a disengaged family, the boundaries are way too sufficient. Right. Um, there, there's not a like lot of Like we hardly bonding. know those people are connected. Right. And in enmeshed families, we don't know where one begins and one ends. Right. Right. Um the other dimension that we look at has to do with how the family handles tension, which mm-hmm. family systems are always adjusting to tension. So mm-hmm. on one end of the extreme, we have rigidity. And on the other end of the stream, we have chaos. And the truth is there is not a, there's not an ideal for every situation place on this model to go. The, I think the most ideal is closer to the middle um, and flexibility within that. So like, for example... Um, my youngest, my kindergartner again, he was our run into the middle of the street, damn the consequences kid. <laughs> I'm a risk taker. Right, <laughs> right. And I have these really vivid memories of sprinting at him. And like if it had called for it, I totally would have just full body flying tackled him mm. to keep him from going in the street. 
And I remember him like twisting his little face up in rage and just screaming at me that I wouldn't let him go in the street. <laughs> Don't stop me. That was a very rigid rule. Yeah. So now that he's in kindergarten, he walks to the neighborhood school every morning. If we were still rigid about how he walked, how he crossed the street, uh-huh. he's not functional. Right. So there that has, was a time specific, mm-hmm, time limited rule that really needed to that really needed to be that way. Yeah. Um, if if he were to have some visual or hearing impairment, we'd probably go back to that mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Like we help you with this mm-hmm. until you know what you're doing. Um, with the disengaged and the enmeshed, I've found with my boys, um, one of my biggest growth edges is um, I feel like I know loneliness. And so when I would see them as little boys, if they were playing alone, um, I had this like, oh, I have to interact with them right now. Uh-huh. And my wife would say, like, you're ruining this for me. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, if they can't play independently, like, I have no space during a day. Right, right. So, like... Do, don't get in the way of this. So there was this, um, there was this need for me to be way too close to them when we needed to foster a little more. Like we can do some separateness, yeah. and then there's other times. Like I, I can think of when some really scary things happened to my kids, where we got right in there, mm. um, and the boundaries were a little more blurred. They were a little less because we needed some closeness. Uh-huh. And again, flexibility is the key in this model. What we tend to see in um, the families that sex addicts come from, they tend to be rigid and disengaged. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know if the research points to that's what addicts recreate in their own families. Well, I've also heard that addicts also just come from either of the extremes, hmm. yeah. right? Because yeah. if they're enmeshed, addicts are also going to create a double life yeah. where they can be them. Yeah. And it's usually self-sabotaging, yeah. right? Because they can't be themselves in the mm-hmm. light of day in the family because it's enmeshed. Yeah, great, great point. So I think one of the places to start looking at is which extreme have we been on or uh-huh. what have we done in both extremes? Yeah. And this is where you and a spouse, or if you're a single parent, you yourself have to start looking at what would more moderate look like? Yeah. What would more functional look like? And I will add this. It is not um, efficient. Moderate is not efficient. No. <laughs> right? No. It is much easier to be, do oh, this man. because I said so. Right. And, or because I'll punish you. It takes much more to sit down and to have a conversation and yeah. to let them disagree and to be able to talk and say, I hear you. What about this? Have you thought about mm-hmm. that? Right? Like, that takes so much more time. There are times yeah. I'm like... Wow, that's a much easier way of parenting, although it is very limited. Yeah, yeah. Like, the it's effectiveness a- is very limited, a lot of times very young children-ish, right? Yeah. And and sets up for older kids, including starting at like 8, 9, 10, mm-hmm. to rebel. Yeah, it's, it's effective in the short term, meaning you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot of room for that kid to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, as you start to look at how we come back from the extremes, um, I think in any family at any age, there's some things that really help with that. And I would point to Brene Brown's um, guideposts in, uh, what is it, The Gifts of Imperfection? Yeah, yeah. She talks a lot about play. Uh-huh. She talks a lot about vulnerability. Um, I know in my own healing, play has been really critical in helping to reshape how I can interact mm-hmm. with my family mm-hmm. and my, my kids. Um, so starting to look at what are some of the rituals around connecting do, do we want to put in place, not necessarily to preserve what we have, right. but to help us grow into what we need. 
Yeah. And, and I would also add to this, um, one of the do's, I think, regardless of the age of parents or the age of the kids, and I think, again, it needs to be age appropriate, which we'll get into, um, but you can't be so guilt-ridden mm. by not being a perfect parent or yeah. by messing up your kid yeah. that um, you overindulge them, yeah. right? Or you see their behavior as your fault and you don't let them be their own individual. I, and I, I think with that, seeing their behavior as your fault, it may lead to the other end from overindulging. Maybe you withdraw uh-huh. when that guilt comes up. Right. And they feel alone all over again. Because you got to keep in mind for kids, it doesn't really matter to them why mom and dad weren't there. Right. Um, it doesn't really matter why we didn't get a tune. What matters is that it wasn't there. Yeah. That becomes interesting the older they get. Definitely. It gets definitely more complex. But hopefully we've also started showing up and being there Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So really looking at the quality of presence Uh and the reasons why we have presence. We may be, you may be shifting your family from, we have presence and engagement only around crises. Uh Otherwise we're all kind of really disengaged. Yeah. We might look at like presence and togetherness is happening regardless of whether there's crises or right. not. We- and, and this is, we've had many episodes, right? And, and we've kind of narrowed this and said, you know, zero to four, there's some really uh, important things happening in the nervous system that kind of get wired in. And otherwise, we're always trying to like rewire the nervous system. And, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's nervous system is perfectly wired in those zero to four years. Right, like right. we're just not perfect human beings. Right. And I've often said like my kids take everything I have and they mm-hmm. still need more. Mm-hmm. So I am going to fall short. Those little leeches. Right. I am going to fall short in what I think my kids deserve yeah. and in what my kids need. Yeah. There's always going to be a discrepancy there. Mm-hmm. And so I can come to terms with that and not, fall into my own shame cycle about mm-hmm. that and I'm going to do a much better job with my kids, right? And and we're always going to be updating and rewiring our nervous system. So it's not like these things are set in stone right. by the time they're 4 and they're never go, you know, they're going to be messed up for life. Yeah. And having said that, I've often joked with my kids, you know, from the time they were young and said, um, you know, you have two savings funds that we're we're working on one is for your college and one is for your therapy, right? Both educational. <laughs> right. And, and I said to them, and if, if there's something that I have done that you stumble upon in therapy, that you need me to come in for a session and take ownership, or you need to have a conversation out of therapy mm-hmm. and I need to take ownership from that. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Like I am doing that because I'm not perfect yeah. and I didn't come from a perfect family. So, so, so that's really about opening up the system. And I think right. that starts to challenge some of the family secrecy narratives. Right. And there were times when I had to go in and apologize to my kids for something I did wrong or didn't do that I should have. Right. And I go in and, and we would kind of joke and I'd be like, I got to put a little extra in this month to that mm-hmm. therapy savings fund. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think there was just a lot of uh, relief. I know for me, that would have made a huge difference at yeah. any age in my life had my parents been able to acknowledge the impact their behavior had and feel some remorse and ownership about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Like, I think I would have had so much more wiggle room. Like, if they were actually changed, right? I, I love that you're saying this because I think the remorse and the regret scares a lot of parents. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want my kids to think that, like, I'm just this non-functional sad sack. And I think that some of the artifacts of addiction actually is that, like, 
negativity is non-functional uh-huh. um, or sadness is non-functional. The truth is it can be incredibly validating and right. can actually build a lot of trust when we can either stand face to face with our kids and depending on the age, have that conversation about what we regret or showing that regret through increased attunement. And I'll, I'll say this about that increase of two minutes, not a, I was over here on this extreme, so I need to go to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. Think about this as a narrow two-way mountain road. The safest place is not as far away from the edge. The safest place is far enough away from the edge. Right. And close enough to the center. Um, I love that some of the early, early research around the effect of parenting on kids talked about good enough. I think it, the, yes. it talked about good enough mothering. Um, I'll expand that to good enough parenting. Right. Because I I often say, I think mothering is a verb. Yes. Right. I mean, we attribute it to femaleness, but I think fathers can mother. Like I think mothering. (laughs) My sister-in-law needs to hear this because every Mother's Day I'll say, we need to celebrate me too. I've mothered things. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I I definitely think mothering is a way of interacting with children. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so again, it's for this good enough. And this is where you've really got to work on that shame piece or that perfectionist piece that we can see come out, not as a result of recovery, but that's one of the reasons yeah. why we get into addiction in the first place. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things, right? When you are in recovery, you want your kids to think recovery is amazing because yeah. it is. Yeah. Right? Not this like, oh my gosh, I'm in recovery and I'm carrying this sack around of all yeah. the horrible things I've done. Like that isn't what recovery is about. Yeah. I think this is a good time for you to talk about kind of that recovery culture in the family. You had some ideas around bringing those yeah, home. I, I mean, I, I think just having this open, um, ongoing conversations, right? I just, I mean, and, and I, I will say that is one thing in my family that I did good enough, right? In my family that I created. Um, I think we definitely could have done more, but we did it good enough where we always had ongoing conversations. Mm-hmm. And really there was nothing off limits, right? I mean, and we live in a household with five women, including me and my husband. Mm-hmm. So much of the time, these were conversations my husband never felt he needed to be part of. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, right? Because it's at the dinner table. And right. he's like, what? What are we talking about? But nothing was really off limits. We mm-hmm. would we could talk about anything. And there were always ongoing conversations. Um, there's also transparency, right? Mm-hmm. Just... I never, I never wanted to fall off a pedestal for my kids. Yeah, which means I never get on the pedestal. Right. Like I, I mean, and having said that, I also needed to be competent enough that they um, had faith in me and felt secure that I was in charge of them most of the time. Well, there's a big cultural shift for a lot of us. Then is like competency doesn't come from the pedestal. Right. Competency comes from. I'm right here shoulder to shoulder working with you. Statues sit on pedestals Mm -hmm. and those are inanimate objects Mm -hmm. and they're not going to be good, you know, warm, fuzzy mothering objects. So as Carver would say, just like cocaine and hookers, (laughs) statues are also not loving parents. Right. That is not a loving higher power. (laughs) And, and so we just can't be on pedestals. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like I said, that doesn't mean that we aren't saying to our kids. I've always said, especially as my kids started hitting these, um, like sexual development and some of those preteen into the teen years. Um, I wanted to be like, I'm not going to be more knowledgeable than Google, but I wanted to be a better resource. Yeah. Meaning you're going to get something back from me that isn't like shaming or like 
um, makes you feel awkward, mm-hmm. right? But I'm going to give you some things that Google can't just, in giving you information, Google can't give you that. So yeah. I wanted to be a better resource as a parent than Google. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think as part of that resource, like we can be a resource that's really tailored to the situation because we've mm-hmm. lived through it. If we can be honest about that situation and willing to self-reflect. And, um, and that also doesn't mean making everything about you. Right. Right. Because teens are not going to tolerate that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, kids don't really either. Right. Right. Um, it, it's amazing how um, egocentrism doesn't really work for anybody as a relationship quality. No. Um, it, it may be something that we really enjoy ourselves, but it's not something that builds connection. Or for kids, it may be um, developmentally appropriate. Right. Um, but we're not that age, and so it's yeah. not appropriate for us to make it about us. Yeah. You know, for a lot of couples in recovery, one of the things that's no secret is that mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad, whoever it is, um, there's this thing that they're wrapped up in that they're doing. And um, this is something that my kids have had questions about almost from day one. Um, I've been in active recovery their whole lives. And they know that on any given Saturday, there's a good chance that I'm going to go get together with friends. Um, sometimes it's getting together with friends to go and bike or run or whatever. A lot of the times it's getting together with friends to talk about things uh-huh. and to work recovery. And um, my oldest has started to put together with uh, his school that you 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 learn things when you're with people. So he started asking, like, so, like, what did you, what did you do? Say, like, oh, we ate breakfast. No, no, no. You didn't just <laughs> eat. Like, what did you do? What did you talk about? So this is another way that we start to open the system. Like recovery principles have transformed your life at this point. Mm-hmm. Why would you not share those right. with your family? Um, I think introducing the family to the 12 steps, and it may not be like, hey, uh, mom or dad or or both, we, we have this active addiction, and so this is why we use the 12 steps. It may be we feel like this is a pretty good way to live, uh-huh. and we want to share this with you. So introducing some of those concepts, um, talking about where they come from, talking about why we use them. Yeah. That's, again, part of opening that system and incorporating what's worked for you personally. And if you're at this third wave point, it's worked for you and your spouse. Right. Um, incorporating that into working to heal the family. I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking of a time when uh, two of my girls were over playing uh, at a neighbor's house and um, the friend that they were playing with started to be a little bit mean and kind of critical of the younger sister, right? And her older sister very um, nicely, but um, very also assertively um, told her that it wasn't okay for her to be taking um, this one's inventory. (laughs) And and that you really just need to focus on your own inventory. Now, not that my kids were perfect at that. Like inventory? (laughs) (laughs) Right. They weren't perfect at always focusing on their own inventory, right? They 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 often came to me taking their sister's inventory. But, you know, they weren't going to let the neighbor kid take their sister's inventory. (laughs) And uh, and the neighbor had kind of texted me and just said, only from the pack house am I going to hear this, right? (laughs) At a play date. (laughs) But, like, we would just talk about that. Do you know what Mm -hmm. inventory is? Well, no, they didn't. They were, like, Mm -hmm. seven and eight, you know? Okay, well, let's talk about it. This is what that means, and this is what that looks like, and this is how that works. And and it stuck with them. They were like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't do that, Mm -hmm. right? So... So, yeah, I mean, there and there's lots of funny stories. My kids had language because of the work that I do and the recovery that I've gained that 
a lot of kids don't have that language yeah. for. Yeah, which to me is um, there's a there's a part of this family healing that is very intuitive. If it's made a difference in your life, uh-huh. if it's made a difference in your primary relationship, why wouldn't some of those same principles work in your family? And just like we, we talk about with spouses of addicts, it, it's not the spouse's fault, but it is the spouse's problem in that I've got to figure out what to do with right. this. I've got to figure out how to interact with this because what I know isn't isn't working. Yeah. And so it, it's the same thing with the family. It's not the family's issue, but it's the family's problem. Right. And so we equip the family with tools. We equip the family with resources. Um, we'll include in um, in these show notes some um, some uh, community based support resources for families in addiction. Like I'm thinking of Alateen, uh, uh-huh. um, and depending on the age of of your children, that can be a good resource. I think the Big Book of um, Adult Children of Alcoholics is a really good primer mm-hmm. for anyone who's been any part of any dysfunctional family. Right. Um, I remember when I first got into that fellowship, um, I was a little like slapped my dysfunctional family in the face with it. Okay. So one Saturday we were over at my Which parents. is why it's known to be a bitter right. fellowship. Oh, I was. I had a client asking me the other week. They were They were talking about how they never wanted to be part of ACA because everybody's uh-huh. so bitter. And he's like, wait a minute. You're an ACA, aren't you? And I was like, yes. And he's like, but you were never bitter. And I was like, oh, I was bitter. And this is one of those. I just grew up. Right. We're over at my parents' house on a Saturday. And I was the secretary of the meeting at that point. So I brought all my my, my materials because I needed to take inventory and order things. So I had it out all over the place where I knew everyone could see it. And my mom walks over and she's like, what's this? I was like, oh, this is adult of alcoholics and dysfunctional families <laughs> stuff. And... um. She she asked a couple questions about what it was, and she's like, is this for work? And I was like, no, this is personal. And she's like, we're not alcoholics. And I was like, and dysfunctional families. <laughs> and I was like, here, read this. And I hand, her, I hand her the introduction to the Big Red Book, and she reads it, and I was like, what do you think? Um, because she's, she's also the, the adult child of an alcoholic, and I was thinking, like, she'll start connecting dots. And she just said, it makes me so sad that you feel like this was your story. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I don't this feel is, that way. It, it was. <laughs> was. right? Um, so I, I think even that book is a really good primer for getting to know what family dysfunction looks like and feels like from all angles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in your personal recovery work, you probably got an idea of what your personal dysfunction looks like. Right. does a really good job of mapping out this is how it impacts families right. at, at different ages. So we'll, we'll post some of those resources in our show notes today. There's also, I saw this bumper sticker once. I still think it's a hilarious bumper sticker, right? But um, it depends on which angle I'm looking at it from. So this bumper sticker says, right, if it's not one, if it's not one thing, it's your mother, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like the first time I saw it, I laughed, laughed, laughed because I'm reading it as a daughter, right? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> that goes both ways. That's not so funny. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> I still think it's funny, right? Um, and I do think moms get a lot of bad rap sometimes over that. And yeah. and maybe maybe so, right? Because, mm-hmm. and, and not just mothers. Again, this is where we can include fathers and the parenting structure. Um, because I think a lot does go back yeah. um, to our experiences 
in the house we grow up in. Yeah. And so I don't think that this is ever a question to be taken lightly. I think, mm-hmm. like we said at the top of the show, it's a great, courageous answer to start looking at. Mm-hmm. And our recovery really isn't done until we've done that piece. And that yeah. piece is then lifelong, like mm-hmm. many parts of recovery. Like then we practice these things going forward. Yeah. There's no end date to that. And I think, w- why wouldn't we want to do that in our family? You know, I I recently heard a very, I loved the perspective on this um, because this is this is a hard question for people to ask because it feels like I'm really shackling myself to this mm. for a lifetime, aren't I? Um, I really like. The, well, yes. When you're having children, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, I, I mean the whole recovery and the guilt piece, right. and I've got to fix things. Um, I really like the the NPR show. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Okay. It's their news quiz. I think it's really funny, and mm. it's their 20th anniversary this year. So they're interviewing all of their panelists, and um, on a on a special episode on their podcast. And I was listening to the one with Paula Poundstone. And she was one when I started listening to the show. I was like, wait a minute. She's from Sesame Street. Because when I was young and watching uh-huh. Sesame Street, Paula Poundstone had a couple characters on there. And I think she still does. Um, but anyway, when she started on the show about 15 years ago, it was in the middle of her very public meltdown. Oh, okay. Um, I think her children had been taken from her mm. for alcoholism. Don't Don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode. But... There was some very public things going on, and um, the interviewer talked to her about that because there was a there was a moment on one of the early shows that that had come up, oh. and um, she dealt with it very graciously and humorously, of course. Um, but they were talking kind of seriously about what had happened, what had happened since then, and she said, um, "Now I get to make I get to wake up every day and uh, work on making it better." Mm. And I got the sense from what she said that it wasn't this, like, make just that better. Right. But it meant, like, my whole world. Um, and as a person in recovery, I really resonated with that, that that is what we get to wake up every day and do. Uh-huh. Um, we get a chance to make it better today than it was before. Yeah. And it's I, I see it as an opportunity, not a sentence. Uh-huh. Um, and recovery, I think, really heightens our awareness of what we can do. And what we have the ability to do, what we have the skill set to do. Yeah. And we get to bring that to our families, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think so. I This past weekend, my extended family, aunts and cousins, all the women in that on that side of the family, every October, usually it's the Saturday before Halloween, we do what we call the witches' lunch, and we dress up as witches. I mean, we don't go all out dressing up as witches, but we all have witches' hats. And my aunt brings extras if in case you don't. <laughs> and uh, and we go to lunch together, and it's just a time for us to catch up and chat and whatever. And we're dressed as witches, and uh, and so this was the past the past Saturday was our witches lunch, and. After the lunch was over and everything, uh, my sister was there, and she had brought her little girl who's, I don't know, seven maybe, six or seven. She had brought her, it's her only daughter, but I, my daughter was home. I, I, it was lucky I had all four of my kids there, which hasn't happened in several years. And so my sister said to them, like, hey, I have a question, and I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but I have a question. I want all of your feedback to my kids and me. And she, my sister has three kids, so boy, boy, and then girl. And she said, my middle child is, um, she's like, um, 
I'm not sure how to phrase this. And then she looked at my daughter and said, my daughter, my third daughter and said, well, she's kind of like you. He's kind of like you. Right. And they're all like, okay. And she's like, you got it. <laughs> and she's like, and I, I'm having a hard time parenting him. Like the other two, like if I tell them to do something, they do it. Like they just don't, um, they don't fight back. They're pretty obedient. And she's like, he definitely marches to the beat of his own drum. And she's like, I, I just don't know how to do that. And it was just interesting to listen to my girls who have lived through that and are still living through that. Um, each one of them give their feedback on suggestions or, you know, um, I think you should do this or do this or don't do that. or any, Anyway, it was just interesting. And, and then I was kind of the last one to give some feedback. And I could see several of my daughters, not the one who um, is, you know, her own spirit, um, like look at me and like all of a sudden they were like, oh, oh, that's why you did it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think they could finally start to appreciate, right, that I wasn't. I mean, they, they definitely over the years have told me that I'm soft on her. Um, and, and I think what that means is I don't beat her. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they it's would have liked to have seen that and felt she definitely deserved that. And uh, <laughs> and anyway, as we were just talking about it, they, they got it. But then they could each say, and you might need to let the other ones know that it is being dealt with or that you think mm-hmm. it's serious, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Which... In my defense, I did say that. They just didn't believe me because they never, like it wasn't <laughs> a public the, spectacle. They didn't see the bruises. Right? It wasn't a public <laughs> hanging. And so because it was dealt in private, they thought it never happened. Anyway, it was just interesting to to have that parent moment where it's like, because of the ages of my kids, she's asking like, hey, how did you do this? And mm-hmm. how as a family system did that impact? What would you say to do more of, less of? And just to see that, you know, talked through and, and, and for each of them to kind of acknowledge, including the one who um, takes up so much space in the family, and, and she would acknowledge, like, yeah, I, I do do that. Mm-hmm. And she's finally getting out of that somewhat egocentric place and maturing. Just yeah. little, little girls growing up. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I'm really excited about this series. So I think so, too. It'll be good. Yeah. Keep tuning in. At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.